First Christmas. Oh, if you need a Bible, hold up your hand. We're going to be using them this morning, so grab one. Bible is still the middle name of Sierra Bible Church. And so, uh, my first Christmas at Sierra Bible Church was 1991. And as has been the custom of this church before I came, and continues on, is the church has received each year uh, a special offering that is designated for staff Christmas gifts. Uh, this is a great blessing to the staff. When I was the past senior pastor, I used to let them know, I says, don't you ever budget this offering into your budget for the year. Because I experienced staff gifts of $200. I experienced staff gifts of $1,000. And I just told the staff, never budget this in. Receive it for what it is. It's a gift. And if you don't expect anything, if it's 200 or whether it's 1,000, you'll receive it with joy. And you'll receive the 1,000 with the same joy that you received the 200. Because it's, it's all gift from God. But this is a special time, and I also set up a practice while I was here that whatever came in as staff gifts, I don't know if this is still the case, but it all got divided evenly on the staff. Uh, everybody got uh, the same share, so to speak, whether you were the senior pastor or, or whoever. And so, um, therefore, I, I ask you to prayerfully consider uh, making an offering this Christmas gift. You can give through the offering boxes at the back of the sanctuary. You can give online. Just make sure you mark your gift as staff gift. And then also, these cards, I think they're in the seat back pocket in front of you. There's some out in the foyer. And they are prayer cards. And during this Christmas season, the staff has been asking people to write down somebody that you know that needs the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody that you're praying for. Put their name on here. Commit to praying for them throughout this Advent season. Put the card on the bulletin board out there in the foyer and uh, know that everybody on that bulletin board is there because they need Jesus and they're being prayed for, for salvation to come to their house and wouldn't be grand if it came during this Christmas season. Someone once said that a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, for me, the picture behind me is worth 10,000. Isn't that incredible? Jim Mathias and his art team have blessed this church with many world-class pieces of art. My favorite up until this year was Jonah out in the foyer. Jonah falling down there and the, the big old whale shark is just waiting down there to take him in for a three-day ride. I just love it. The, the whole thing is just overwhelming. This is my new favorite. And over the last few weeks, when I, I wander around this place, I still have a key to this place. <laughs> right there. I still have a key. And so I wander around here every once in a while, and uh, I've snuck in. I don't know if Jim is here, but I've snuck in behind his little curtain over there. And I've watched this painting evolve. And not long after seeing it for the first time, I came across the following words that I would like to read to you. Because my hero of this story, of course Jesus is my hero of the story, but my other hero is Joseph. 
And those of you who have read, who are signed up for my blog from my website or read my postings on Facebook, I have posted this month about Joseph and Joseph's secret and the part that he got to play in all of this. And this poem, it's actually a song, and you can go up on YouTube and listen to choral arrangements, and it'll bring you to tears. But as you gaze upon this picture this morning, I want you to listen to these words. I'm going to get out of your way. I want you to look at that picture. Isn't that incredible? And listen to these words. The hands that first held Mary's child. The hands that first held Mary's child were hard from working wood. From boards they sawed and planed and filed in splinters they withstood. This day they gripped no tool of steel. They drove no iron nail, but cradled from head to heel our Lord, newborn and frail. When Joseph marveled at the size of that small breathing frame and gazed upon those bright new eyes and spoke the infant's name. The angel's words he once had dreamed poured down from heaven's height and like the host of stars that beamed blessed earth with welcomed light. This child shall be Emmanuel, not God upon his throne, but God with us. Emmanuel, as close as blood and bone, the tiny form in Joseph's palms confirmed what he had heard, and from his heart rose psalms of praise for heaven's human word. The tools that Joseph laid aside, a mob would later lift and use their anger, fear, and pride to crucify God's gift. Let us, O Lord, not only hold the child who's born today, but charged with faith may we behold and follow in his way. Isn't that great? You know, we don't think of that, but Joseph was the attending midwife. And he wasn't exactly in a clean, pristine delivery room. Sandy and I watched again, and I invite you to this. Uh, 2006, there was a great movie made called uh, The Nativity Story. And the thing I love about it is, again, it allows Joseph and Mary to be real people. And all of a sudden, we have in a little tiny village a pregnant girl married or con- engaged to a man who... Everybody's whispering. And we don't think about that sometimes. You know, as they're walking by, because they know what's gone on. You know, Joseph knows what has gone on, and he knows he's had no part in it. And an angel has to convince him it's not time to break off the engagement. And then... The part I, I really love is they're in the, they're in the stable. And you know, and, and we sanitize so much of this story. But there's Mary in transition, having a baby, and wailing in those, tran- in those contractions 
And Joseph there delivering that baby. I mean, it was as real and as raw as it can be because it was life. And Joseph and Mary were real people experiencing real life. And I think that we lose some of the story when all of a sudden they become other than us. Joseph delivered this baby. Joseph played a big part. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, join me standing as we honor God's word together in this reading. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, we read, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Father, once again we we stand before the manger. Father, once again, we all know the story. And Father, sometimes we get so familiar with it that some of the wonder of it slips away. I ask, dear God, that you fill our hearts again with the wonder of this story, the beauty of this story, the grace-filled story that we may join the shepherds once again, kneeling at a manger in awe, as we adore afresh and anew Christ the Lord. It's in his name we do pray. Amen. Those of you who've known me for any time know that uh, I'm a farmer at heart, raised on the farm. Um, Many of my stories, like many of Jesus' stories, are linked around the farm. Uh, I'm a pretty simple guy. I've always used the KISS method in my preaching and ministry. And Dick knows what that is. Keep it simple, stupid. And so uh, that's been my thing. But the thing about me is I have an imagination. Maybe an overactive imagination. 
But what has made the scriptures come alive for me over the years is I have often taken off my shoes and put on my sandals and entered the picture. I try to enter the picture and I try to set there in the scene. I try to walk through the streets with Jesus and his disciples. I like to feel the jostle of the crowd. I like to smell the smells that are in the air. I like to hear the sounds that are in the background. And this is one of my favorite places to hang out this morning. In this passage, we read of Judean shepherds who were doing what shepherds did during the warm seasons of the year, keeping watch over their flock by night in the open field. Now, I know I just blew it for you. There was no snow on the ground when Jesus was born. And that he was born in the warm seasons of the year is indicated by the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night in the open field. For in the winter they brought the sheep into the sheepfold, and the sheepherders stayed in a little warming hut in the middle of the sheepfold. Then Jesus said in the morning they would get up and they would call their sheep, and only their sheep would follow them, because the sheep knew the voice of their shepherd. But it's a warm night. And out there on that Galilean hillside, it's quiet. And it's dark. For hundreds of years, these shepherds' fathers had done the same thing before them. But on this particular night, the darkness and the silence were pierced by blinding light and thunderous sound. When they dared look up, the angel of the Lord stood before them. And the understatement here is, and they were filled with great fear. No, the result is, they were terrified to their core. I love the King James, it says, and they were sore afraid. And when I was a little kid, sore afraid kind of made that come come in just a little bit more. In fact, their fear is the very first thing that the angel's going to address. And he says, fear not, for I bring to you good news of great joy. And then it says the angel was filled, the sky was filled with multitudes of angels. Brothers and sisters, that's thousands. That's thousands. Praising God and saying, not singing, but reciting in unison. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And the noise of that recitation from thousands of angels must have felt something like riding a raft through Cataract Canyon on the Colorado River where the sound of the water is just deafening as it bounces off the canyon walls back to the raft in which you are rowing. And then, it's quiet. Being what people are, I always wonder who was the first shepherd to speak up. Wondering Am I the only one that saw this? Not daring to go, Hey, Joseph, did you see that? And Joseph says, See what? (laughs) And pretty soon they have a powwow. And they said, There's only one thing to do now. And they head to Bethlehem. My friends, I want to submit to you this morning that along with Jesus coming into this world to save us from our sin, he came to fill us with his hope. 
He came to wrap us in his peace. He came to turn our fears into great joy. The Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming Messiah were also filled with declarations of joy. If you'll join me in turning to Isaiah chapter 9. We had a great time the other night at Andy and Laurel's house where our Wednesday night community group meets. And I just ask everybody to come and bring their favorite Christmas verse and read it and then share why it was their favorite. And oh, we had, we had church at your house on Wednesday night, didn't we? As I saw, I saw tears, I saw passion, I saw, I saw emotion as people touched on these various verses. And they're the ones we look at the, even this various morning. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time... He has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations or of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. You have multiplied the nation and have increased its what? You have increased its joy and they do what? Rejoice before you as with a joy. At the harvest, as they are glad when they divide spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in a battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Here we go. Hang on. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Note that it's... The son is a child that is born, not the son. The son has been from all eternity. The child is born. The son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and evermore. And the zeal of the Lord will do this. Isaiah tells us that the Messiah's appearing would result in two great, in, in great rejoicing and celebration. Then he divides it out in two. And I love this because having spent the first 25 years of my life on the farm and returning there as often as possible... This phrase stirs my heart deeply because, brothers and sisters, harvest time for us was the wonderful climax of a year's labor of tilling the soil, planting the seed, followed by a summer of irrigating and cultivating. Watching truckload after truckload of harvested crops leave the field heading for the warehouse was breathtaking. And that's why the Thanksgiving hymn, Come Ye Thankful People Come, still puts a lump in my throat. Come ye thankful people come, raise the song of harvest home. All is safely gathered in, let the winter storms begin. God our maker doth provide for our wants to be supplied. Come to God's own temple, come and raise the song of harvest home. They said, 
the joy of the Messiah's coming would be like the joy that surrounds harvest time. And I'll tell you what, I understand that. And I get it. And I feel it. The next one, I've never experienced it, but I, I've, I've watched it in the movies. I've read about it in the books. The joy that an army knows when it's dividing up the spoil of a captive, captive and captured enemy. Going through the battlegrounds and picking up the weaponry and the trinkets of war. And the joy of harvest. The joy of dividing spoil at the end of great victory. This joy filled John the Baptist when he was still in his mother's womb. Do you know that? When Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, following Gabriel's visit to her, here's what happened when she came through the door. Luke 1, Elizabeth said, For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. John the Baptist experienced this joy while yet in his mother's womb. And even when the dark shadow of the cross began to fall across the hearts of the disciples, it was Jesus who said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. And just as the Gospel of Luke started with terror turning into joy, the book ends the same way. In Luke 24, we find the disciples locked behind doors trying to make sense of not only the whole weekend, but also now the happenings of Sunday morning. There they are, locked away for fear that the next people are going to be hauled off to Calvary. It's going to be them. And they're trying to figure out what the woman what the women have told them they went to the tomb and it was empty and they saw Jesus I was telling the group on Wednesday night you know that the story was never made up by the people of that day because a woman's testimony was worthless in a court of law and Jesus chose to be to appear to women first of all just like he appeared to shepherds, the least. They were kind of at the bottom of the totem pole. Jesus appeared to shepherds. At the other end of his life, he appears to women. The disciples are trying to puzzle out this story. And then two of their own numbers show up and say, hey guys, we were on our way to Emmaus. Guy came and walked alongside of us and started talking to us and breaking down the scripture for us. And we sat down at table with him and he picked up the bread and started to break it and You know who it was? It was Jesus. And then he was gone. They're trying to puzzle this all out. He's been buried. He's been wrapped in grave clothes. He's been laid in a tomb. And now rumor that he's afoot. Imagine having attended the funeral of a loved one and then having them show up in your kitchen that evening. Come on, people, we've got to get into this story. We've got to feel it. We've got to feel their loss. You see, you and I are at a great advantage on Easter. We know that Sunday's coming. All they knew is their bottom of their world fell out. And they had no promise of Sunday in their hearts. So they're trying to figure this out. They're trying to figure this out. And Luke 24, 36 says, 
as they were talking about these things, they're in that room, they're talking, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a ghost. (laughs) And again, the word frightened here is terrified. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Again, you know, the first part of Luke has several angel visitations, and the very first words out of the angel's mouths are, fear not, because it must be quite a quite an experience to have an angel show up in your living room. Fear not. Fear not to Zacharias in the temple. Fear not to Mary. Fear not to the shepherds. And now Jesus, fear not. Fear not. Luke 24, 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with what? Great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. There it is again. Not just joy, great joy. Great joy. A joy that would now be theirs forever. Turn with me to John 16. John 16, beginning with verse 20. Again, we have a great analogy here again. John 16 and 20, Jesus speaking, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. The cross is still ahead of him. Uh, He's still going to die. Sunday hasn't come yet. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And then he gives us, remember he said something about joy as the joy of harvest? Joy as the joy of pillage after the, the, the battle is over. Here's the joy he talks about now. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Again, the analogy, joy as in childbirth. For several years, when serving as an operating room technician in the United States Navy, I worked in OBGYN surgery. I saw the birth of many babies, the old-fashioned way as well as by cesarean section. I was with my wife in the operating room for all four of our deliveries. And, you know, one of the questions, especially in a man's mind, is, you know, what is it that makes a woman want to go through this twice? or thrice, or four times, as was in our case. The anguish, the anguish of labor, 
transitions, the contractions, that somehow all that anguish is swallowed up in an instant when you hear, wah, 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 wah. And the little critter has ten toes. And it has ten fingers. And the doctor even says, it's a... You know, they're, they're, they're told not to say that today. But you know what everybody in the, in the delivery room knows. And it's these things, it's these things that allow the anguish to subside and the joy to begin to flow. Of this joy, the psalmist David said, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Joy and pleasure found at the right hand of our God. I remember well the words of a Sunday school song that I was raised with. I've got something that the world can't give and the world can't take it away. I've got something that the world can't give and it keeps me singing night and day. I've got something worth talking about. Makes me sing and it makes me shout. I've got something that the world can't give and the world can't take it away. Jesus came to earth to fill us with joy. Peter, in talking about this joy in his epistle, all he can say is, it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And I remember, right after Sandy and I gave our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ in January 1972, we were part of a little assembly of God church in Jacksonville, North Carolina. And that was one of their faith. Do you remember that assembly hymn, Carrie? Come on, Carrie, don't disappoint me. And it's joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the half has never yet been told. My friends, people look for joy in food and drink and family and possessions and recreation and attainments. You know, I know you just graduated from college. And you worked your tail off to do that, didn't you? And I'm proud of you, that you hung in there. But you know what? That's not what it's all about. Celebrate it, but just know that it's a stepping stone closer to the heart of Jesus. You know, we celebrate these attainments, we celebrate these things, but we need to understand what they are. And though these things, like Gavin's diploma might bring us a degree of satisfaction. It's usually a fleeting satisfaction. And the reason is, all too often we confuse joy and happiness. The difference between joy and happiness is, happiness, for the most part, is attached to happenings. It's attached to our stuff. It's attached to our attainments. It's attached to our relationships. It's attached to the fact that uh, the car's running this week. And we are unhappy when it's not running next week. 
We are so hooked to that. Our happiness, happiness goes like this. And you know, over the years, I've had people in my office that have come in and, you know, they're seeking happiness and all of these things. And then when it doesn't add up, they come in disappointed. They say, Pastor, doesn't God want me to be happy? And I have no problem after 47 years in the ministry. No! No problem. No! He wants you to be holy. And that will produce something that blows happiness off the table. It's called joy. For in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Happiness, for the most part, is attached to happenings. Brothers and sisters, joy is rooted in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And above all, you and me as Christians should not expect the world and the things of this world to satisfy us. I'll tell you what, I wish I had learned this a long time ago. I would have saved thousands of dollars that I spent on cars and motorcycles and all this stuff trying to scratch that itch. And it was only a matter of time before they didn't. You know, I drive around town every day. A 1991 Isuzu pickup it's 33 years old. It just turned over 225,000 miles. And I have as much joy driving that pickup as if I had a brand new Rivian. Because my joy isn't attached to the vehicle. Our true satisfaction, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, is found in a deep and growing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of all true joy. He is the source. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink. It's not about eating. It's not about drinking. It's not about the pursuits of life. But it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul went on to write to the Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the result of him living in here. In fact, Paul's rejoicing was a great theme in Paul's writings, especially in the book of Philippians. It's probably one of my favorite, next to the one that's my most favorite. Uh, The thing that's so ridiculous about Philippians is it's the most joy-filled epistle in all of our Bible. And yet it's being written by a man who is in prison to a people who are suffering persecution. And there isn't one poor pitiful little Philippians line in the whole book. It's counted all joy. Rejoice. So you know that that joy for Paul wasn't something he was just psyching up every day. It's something that permeated his being because the Holy Spirit lived there. And you've got to have some life under your belt to understand. I have stood at the open grave as a loved one is being lowered in the box that they're in. My heart is breaking because of the loss of that loved one. But the joy of the Lord is filling my soul. Because I've got something the world can't give. And the world, with its frustrations and its disappointments and its breakdowns and its losses, cannot take away that which Jesus places in the heart. And that is joy unspeakable and full of glory. One more time. John John 15 
John 15, I'm going to begin reading with verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Hang on here. I've said all that I've said. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be made full. Fullness of joy. A joy that is complete. We need to ask the question, because Jesus says the gift that he's going to give us is not just any run-of-the-mill dollar store joy. It's his own joy. And so we need to stop and explore here for a little bit and say, what was the source of Jesus' joy? The joy that Jesus had resulted from his surrender and his submission to the will of his Father. For us, fullness of joy comes from walking in communion with Jesus as he walked in communion with his Father. Jesus is facing the cross and he talks about joy. Paul is rotting in a Roman prison and he writes about joy. Paul and Silas in a Philippian jail, they've just been beaten within an inch of their life and now they're, they're chained in the middle of the dungeon with guards around them and there they are, perfect candidates for gangrene and infection and death. And the Bible says at midnight, what were they found doing? Singing praises unto God. And as they sang praises unto God, an earthquake shook the prison and broke their chains. And brothers and sisters, this is the joy that God is talking about. It's joy in our lives when everything is hunky-dory. It's joy that still possesses us when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because it's not happiness that's attached to the happenings of our life. It's joy that comes from the Savior through His Holy Spirit who lives in our hearts. Oh, brothers and sisters, I've got something that the world can't give And because the world can't give it, you know what? The world can't take it away. It can take so much away. You know, I I love, uh, this this isn't going to cost you anything extra. Uh, In the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, you know, the, the Hebrews were suffering some persecution too. And the writer of the book says, and when you first came to faith and you started suffering for your faith, and, you know, he talks about praying for those who are in prison for their faith. But he also goes, and you, in this process of all hell broke loose when you said yes to Jesus in your worldly affairs, he says, and you even received with joy the seizing of your property. 
Tell you what, when they come and start carrying off your goods and you can say, thank you, Jesus, that is a joy that the world can't give. But that's the joy that Jesus gives. Over the past three Sundays, you've heard of three gifts that are offered up to every born-again believer. Hope, peace, and joy. Hope that does not disappoint. Peace that passes understanding. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so today I end our time together with this benediction from the Apostle Paul. And now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.